everybody, and welcome to RV Miles, your home for RV and camping news, reviews, travel guides, and more. I'm Jason. And I'm Abby, and this is episode 35 of the RV Miles podcast. To get today's show notes, head over to rvmiles.com slash podcast. You can also find RV Miles on social media at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you want to keep up with Jason and I, we are over at ourwanderingfamily.com, and we are also on, let me take a deep breath, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and Pinterest. Everybody is getting in the mood for camping season again, and we are going to cover on this episode getting your camper ready for camping season, dewinterization, and all the stuff that goes along with prepping your camper for heading out on the road. It's so nice that we're at this place now where this is like a reality. Spring is here. Spring has sprung. And it is time now to really get the camping season like kicked into gear and started. And there's a lot of things that you want to take into consideration when your RV has been in storage for the winter. But even if it hasn't, there's this is, you know, it's spring cleaning time. It's Mm -hmm. time to go through the little checklist that you might have to make sure your RV is in tip top shape. We're also going to talk about our little excursion over to the Gila Cliff Dwellings here in New Mexico, where we are right now. I don't know if I would call it little, though, because just the drive alone <laughs> from, yeah, just the drive alone from the campground to Gila Cliff Dwellings, that was pretty epic for our family. It, it was. It's it's a wonderful place. There are a lot of cool national monuments in New Mexico, and this is one we're about to see a whole bunch more where we are now. We're up in the Albuquerque area. We just arrived yesterday. We're like halfway between Albuquerque and Santa Fe. Yeah, it's really nice to be up in this area. We've never been to either Albuquerque or Santa Fe before. So we're very excited to explore a more urban setting for a while. Yet at the same time, I think we have at least three or four national monuments at our fingertips while we're here for the next couple of weeks. Yeah, so this is going to be fun. Uh, And we're, we're sure to talk about all the different places we explore on future episodes Yeah, right now we got to talk about getting that camper ready. (laughs) So first, before we do that in the news this week, National Park Week is coming up April 21st through 29th. It's a Saturday through Sunday. So you get an extra long National Park Week. And the National Park Service has all kinds of fun events planned for National Park Week, including Saturday, April 21st, which is a free day at National Parks Nationwide. We actually experienced Mammoth Cave during the free day last year. We did. And we were surprised when we got there. We didn't expect it to be so busy for April. And it was a really rainy, gloomy day when we got there, too. So that's just something to bear in mind if you're going to partake. And you should, if you could, that it'll be busy probably wherever you go. They really do push this National Park Week and try to reach as many people as possible So go and enjoy, but go and enjoy and know that you and your closest friends and family and strangers are all going to be there. (laughs) And the cool thing is some parks on the free day offer things that wouldn't normally be free, even if you have a annual pass. When we were at Mammoth, we got a free cave tour, which which we would normally wouldn't been able to do with our annual pass. Yeah, it was a really great experience. I don't know if this is, I think we just have to acknowledge this. I don't know if this sound is going to show up on the podcast, but there is a man trying to park his trailer right now and he has changed his mind on the pull through site. And so rather than pulling through, he's decided to back up 
and he's backing up out of the pull through to I don't know. I and just, his trailer is quite squeaky. So I just, I just I'm sitting here in my seat and I can see him and I've been watching this and I keep getting distracted by what Jason is saying, because this is really quite an epic attempt to get into a pull through spot. Oh, he turned I, around. He's gone the other way. He did. Okay. Yeah, he's turned around now. He backed up to turn around rather than just pulling through. Pull through and go around. What? Oh, I don't okay. know. I don't know. Anyway, okay. to each their own. But I'm glad that he's in his spot now. <laughs> so there are some resources for National Park Week if you are interested in, in getting out in the parks and checking out some of the events that are going on. And the parks do have a lot of events planned during National Park Week. You can go to nationalparkweek.org. They have a whole website just for the week. Just for the week. Which is sort of your go-to resource for all things National Park Week. And we'll provide a link to that in the show notes, as well as a calendar of events for the National Park Service, which will be full of all kinds of National Park Week stuff. But even if you're not going in National Park Week, this calendar of events is going to show you all the different events that are happening otherwise. I wonder where we're going to be during National Park Week. We have yet to really decide. I think we might. Well, we're heading up towards Mesa Verde. So we yes. we might be in Mesa Verde during National Park Week. We might have moved on. We're heading towards California. We are. So we have a new baby in the family. We do. A, a we new, have a new nephew. We do. Just born yesterday. So very happy. So we're going to visit him just outside of Los Angeles. So we're making our way that direction. So yeah, we might see his mom and dad as well. But really, we're just going for the baby. <laughs> we might be in Mesa Verde. We might be stopping by the Grand Canyon on our way. To, oh, well, that's new. Well, you, know, you never know. You got to take You got to just look down in it on your way. By. I guess. You can't just like skip the Grand Canyon. I think it's pretty evident if you've been listening to the podcast for a while that we really we don't, don't have. No, we don't. We have no idea what we're doing. We have no idea what we're doing on this podcast. We have no idea what we're doing in general. We're just <laughs> flying by the seat of our pants. You can also download some free National Park Foundation park guides. National Park Foundation is a big nonprofit that works with the national parks. And instead of going to buy one of the expensive park guides that that are all over the Internet, you can go to the National Park Foundation's website and get some free great park guides, whether you're a historian, family with kids, a hiker, really good stuff. And we'll provide a link to that as well. Okie dokie. That's the news. <laughs> that was the news. It was a slow week this week. <laughs> well, we also do want to mention the next episode of the America's National Parks podcast is out. Our podcast focusing on the national parks and some of the stories behind them. This episode is wild. We were a little late getting it out because we it was a lot of work because it was longer and uh, it's just a crazy story. If you've never heard it before, it's Truman Everts who was on a expedition through Yellowstone two years before it became a national park and got lost. The story, I don't want to give too much of the story away for anyone who has not heard the story, but trying to, in certain areas, get through as a storyteller and telling this story because we used his 10,000 word essay that he wrote after he escaped. Obviously, you know, spoiler alert, he lives, but it was intense. I, you know, it was hard because I cannot imagine what that must have been like to spend as many days and to be as famished and just completely destroyed as he was by the time he was found. And for knowing something, you know, for knowing a thing or two about surviving, you know, he's somebody who could go on an expedition like yeah. this well, that's and, the and thing. camp and everything. Still, 
After getting separated, it took him two weeks to figure out how to start a fire. And he had a magnifying lens with him. But he just didn't realize it. And then when he figured it out, he set the forest on fire twice. (laughs) Twice. (laughs) Rebirth. Just think of it as rebirth. I just think it's amazing that he survived as long as he did. 37 days. And the willpower and the, he never gave up. I think that's what I took from it. The, The whole thing is that he never, he never gave in. He never gave up. And he always tried to believe that he was going to get out of there. It's a wild story. If you haven't heard it, and even if you have, go over and check out this podcast because we had a really intense and amazing and eye-opening experience putting this together. All right, let's take a break. And when we come back, we will talk about getting your RV ready for the camping season. Be right back. All right. While Abby gets caught up on her words with friends game. Stop over it. There. <laughs> I have to meet my weekly goal. <laughs> Let's hit last week's brain teaser. It went like this. A tailor can make a pair of pants from the scraps left over from sewing up five pairs of pants. If he has 25 scraps, how many pairs of pants can he make? I... I got nothing. (laughs) So he has 25 pairs of pants. So that's five sets of scraps, right? So he can make five pairs of pants from those five sets of scraps. But he has now made five more pairs of pants, which will come with their own scraps and now can make another pair of pants. So the total is six pairs of pants he can make from the 25 scraps. I feel like I need to just remind you that brain teasers that include math do not shed a very good light on you and I. Because <laughs> it's really not in our wheelhouse, the math brain teaser. Speak for yourself. I got it just fine. Oh, did you? Okay. Um. Yes, of course you did. You had the answer in front of you. But that's right. That's fine. Actually, <laughs> and actually, a lot of other people got it right, too. So maybe they as well had the answer in front of them. <laughs> our winner is Tim Williamson from South Dakota, who will receive a RV Miles decal. And we will have the new brain teaser at the end of the show. Well done, Tim. I'm glad to see at least a few people have math (laughs) skills. All right. It is that time of year. People who have had their RVs in storage for the winter are ready to get them out, ready to get out, go camping. Snow is melting, even though it's still falling in certain places. In some places. In lots of places. There's a big snowstorm hit in Chicago today. But it's that time to start preparing to get your RV out. Or if you already have your RV out, or if you have it out all year, there are still some things that you ought to think about doing to get it prepped for camping season. So we're going to talk about dewinterization, but it's more than just your water system. Lots of different things that you ought to be doing to be preparing your RV for camping. So let's just dive in. First of all, the obvious thing you're going to want to do is get your RV out of storage and take any covers off that you might have on it and just make sure that that area under those covers is clean. It doesn't have like 
animal nests in it. If you don't cover your RV, you, you also still want to check all the different areas that would be covered, like a roof, to make sure that all the sealant isn't start peeling, starting to peel away. You should be checking your roof sealant once a year and, and making sure that there are no sort of gaps in any of your roof sealant. You can fix that yourself. You do not need to take it to a dealer. You can get a caulk gun, get up there, shoot some sealant on it yourself. It's it's easy to do. There are plenty of YouTube videos out there to help you do it. You don't need to spend hundreds of dollars to have that sort of maintenance done on your roof. You should really be doing it every year, if not twice a year. It's also the time to put your batteries back in. You should have taken your batteries out for the winter or kept your RV plugged in all winter. Either way, your battery should always be maintaining a constant charge. Batteries last a lot longer when they are charged and they hold a bigger charge if they maintain a constant charge. So you should have kept your battery on some sort of trickle charger or kept your RV plugged in all winter. And if you did, this is time to put your batteries back in your RV. You also might want to check the water level in your batteries if you have batteries that have a water level that needs to be checked. Now, if you didn't take your batteries out or keep your RV plugged in, now would be the time to go buy new batteries. Well, you want to you want to <laughs> test them. I mean, it would be you you ought to test your batteries. If yes. you sh you should have a battery charger that allows you to do a, a battery test. You can also use that recondition function on your battery charger if you have that. But do check the water level. Um, I mean, you should be checking the water level frequently, but this would certainly be a time to do so. You want to take a look at the inside of your rig, of course, but not just a general look, not just a walkthrough. You want to really be detailed, take a good, solid look everywhere in your RV, get that flashlight out, open up all the cabinets, yeah. look for signs of rodents and bugs and friends that shouldn't have been in your <laughs> RV, right? Water damage. Look for uh, discoloration on your ceiling or in your carpet or on walls, that kind of stuff you want to fix right away because water damage People don't really know this, but water damage often comes on during the winter. It's when snow and rain falls on your roof and it freezes and thaws and refreezes and you've got water just expanding and contracting. That's what sort of make makes leaks. And I don't think that just because you have it covered, you can automatically assume no. that you're safe from that. Like No, covers can leak and they can also trap moisture underneath the cover mm -hmm. as well. So there are good reasons to cover. There are good reasons not to cover. It's, it's your own decision to make. We've talked about this in the past, but either way, you could still be getting leaks. So you want to double check everywhere you possibly can to make sure you don't have a leak that will only get worse throughout the camping season. You want to open up all your slides. If you've got slides. You want to pull out your, your steps and you want to check all those sorts of moving parts and make sure they're lubricated well. This is a good time to put some slide lube on your slides. We were at a park the other day with an RV that just came out from the winter season, the first camping trip out, and the first time they pulled their slide out, it came off the track, and it was bad. It was epic to watch. They had to have someone come in, and this was not a small slide. This was their, it was it a was class big. A, and this was their big slide, their living room slide, and it was clearly the top of the slide was much further out than the bottom part of the slide, and it took three individuals standing on a teeny tiny truck using a ladder that they were standing on to throw their body weight into this slide just to get it back on the track and get it to close. And it was it was very um, 
anxiety inducing to watch. I imagine it was even more anxiety inducing to be a part of, but it was definitely, I looked at Jason and I was like, oh man, I don't even know if I could do slides. Like that would stress me out. <laughs> Every time I went to open it, I'd be afraid. <laughs> now, I don't know if lubrication was, was the problem, but that is something that can cause that problem now and then. So you do want to make sure to keep your slides lubed. You also want to make sure to keep your slide seals lubed. That's the seal that goes between your slide and your RV itself that keeps water from coming in. And when those dry out, that's when they start to allow water and they want to be soft and flexible. So if you keep them lubricated, they stay soft and supple and seal very well. Same thing with your refrigerator as well. Refrigerator seals have, have the same sort of issue. And if your refrigerator isn't sealing, it's not operating efficiently and air is getting out of it and your stuff won't stay cold, especially a propane fridge. So this is the time to check that as well. You want to take a look at your gas system and check for gas leaks. If you don't know how to check for gas leaks, what you do is take a spray bottle. Hey, we talked about spray bottles on our last episode. We did. Here's how a, useful and versatile they are. So useful. Here's a good tip. So take a spray bottle, put some soapy water in it, just dish soap, and spray it down your your propane lines, wherever you can find them, where, where your propane bottle is, the, the connections, everything with the propane open the the water will bubble anywhere there is a leak and again drying out over the winter could cause a leak so this is a good time to check it you want to just check it once a year regardless so make spring cleaning your time to check your propane system yeah i think too a good reminder is also if you camp and live in a mostly very dry and very hot climate it's not just about like moisture coming from the winter for those of us in the Midwest and the East and up in the West. If you're in a really dry climate as well, that can cause crackage and breakage in the lines. And also, as Jason was talking about, in seals. So don't think that just because you're not in a winter part of the country that your RV is immune to these kinds of issues. Yeah. Along that, check your tires. Your tires need to be replaced every seven years or so. Uh, they might have some cracking in the sides of them. You want to double check to see that there's no cracking. You want to check the tread depth, all that sort of stuff, and then go ahead and fill them to the right pressure. There certainly shouldn't be at the right pressure if they've been sitting all winter. No. And uh, fill them up and and make sure that they're at at the correct pressure before you start before you take it out somewhere. If you have a motorhome, now is a good time to check all the fluid levels. Open the hood, look under and make sure that there's not animal nests, cobwebs, all that sort of stuff. Snakes. <laughs> this is not the job that I do. Just Those snake, it out there. Snakes, snakes, snakes normally jump up there when the engine's warm. So yeah, I was going to say. Usually that's there. that's a while you're traveling thing. You know, I have to be I have to say and it's not just an RV thing either. I have been surprised by the number of friends that we have in Chicago who have had issues with animals getting up under the hood mm -hmm. this winter. Mm -hmm. And because what happens for a lot of people in Chicago, when we get into the winter season, if you don't have a garage, most of the time you park that car on the street and you do not move that car because yeah. you know that when the snow starts to fall, the spaces get even more scarce. No one moves their car. And so what happens is they find that they've had animals, squirrels up in the car, sometimes chewing on the lines. They, they chew. Yeah, they'll chew on the wires and stuff. What people also find often is that their batteries get stolen. Now, 
yeah. that this is a often a big city thing, but this could also be, and I've seen this a lot before. This can often be a RV storage issue. I've seen people posting about that especially, online. Especially if you're just in an open air mm-hmm. RV storage area where there's no real security and there's no real checks or balances to who can come and go. Now, the thing to be careful about if your battery is stolen, what they're doing is they take it back for the core charge because there's sort of no, no questions asked and they get 15 bucks per battery. But they're really looking for you to go buy a new battery, put it in. This is a big scam that, that happens all the time in Chicago. You you buy a new battery, you put it in and then they come back and then they steal your new battery. And then they return it. <laughs> yeah. They might. They or might. They, they use it for their car. <laughs> right. Someone stole theirs. It's a, it's a vicious circle. Anyway, long-winded way sure to that, say Make check. sure they're still there. Yeah. If so, if you have the motor home, check the fluid levels. Make sure to check the fluid level on your your starting battery as well. Start up the engine. See how it runs. Take it out for a little spin. Go around the block. Make sure there's no weird noises that appeared over the winter. That sort of stuff. If you have a towable. Check out the hitch components. Look for rust and wear and damage. If anything looks questionable, replace it. If you need to put new tow chains on now, now is the time to do it. If your uh, connectors for your light system need to be replaced, now is the time to do it. Don't wait until you're out on the road somewhere. And then finally, you want to get into your plumbing system and dewinterize your plumbing system. Doesn't really matter if you used RV antifreeze, or if you just blew out the lines with air, the dewinterization process for your plumbing system is sort of the same either way. Really, you just want to flush it through with fresh water. So if your rig is not stored somewhere where there is fresh water, you're going to want to take it to somewhere where you can get some and you want to be able to run through water entirely through your system, especially if you did use antifreeze. But even if you didn't use antifreeze, there could be dust or bugs or anything inside your tanks. And and you want to make sure to get that all sort of flushed through. Now, if you have a compost toilet, yeah. now would be the good time put to put new compost in. Put new compost in and get it ready to go and have that all done so you're not doing that when you're out on the road. Cause you know, we use the cocoa core. And man, that stuff just like gets everywhere. Yeah. Don't do it inside the RV. No, no, God, inside. Oh, man. Oh, my God. No. That'd be rough. Yeah. So, you know, this would be the time then that you're going to take the compost toilet out. Maybe you do want to give it a nice clean down. I'm sure you did prior to dewinterizing, but do it again. Fill it up with the cocoa core or whatever you use for your compost material and put it back in. Easy peasy done. So, you're going to want to get your water heater going. So, you probably drained your water heater and shut off the connections to it. You know, want to open those connections up and turn your water pump on and let your, and open up a hot water valve on any sort of faucet and your water heater is going to fill up with water. And hopefully it's going to, when you shut it, shut the faucet off, it's going to stop. If it, if the pump does not stop, you have a leak somewhere and you're going to want to find that quickly. Yeah, real quick. <laughs> but you do want to check your pump and make sure you don't have a leak. You get that pump running and make sure it runs, fills up your water heater, fills up all the lines, and then stops running. Because otherwise, you're going to walk away and your pump is going to start filling up your RV with water. So and then you're going to want to go around and open every single faucet one at a time and get the water running through them 
flush all that antifreeze out of the those individual lines and then don't forget to open up your gray water tank and and let it out (laughs) (laughs) you know so a, a great place to do this is at a dump station where you can actually then go ahead and dump it out as well uh, because you don't want to just dump all that RV antifreeze on the ground. No, of please course. don't. Please don't. But w- if you don't have RV antifreeze, then it's just fresh water that you're that you're dumping out. So that could just go into like a regular sewer drain or something like that. And I want to say this, too, because when we were talking about this list and, you know, the steps you need to take, I remember thinking to myself, gosh, this is just it's so much mm-hmm. that you need to do. You need to plan a, I would plan a weekend for this. Absolutely. And then I thought to myself, it is absolutely worth doing ahead of time. Every single step, even the one that you think, oh, you know what? No, I know that's fine. It's not going to be an issue because there is just nothing worse when it comes to RV travel than to getting out to your campsite or to your destination and having one of these items on this checklist go awry. You are then now at a campsite. You are removed from a lot of times a nearby town where you could get the kind of help you need. And on top of that, now what was supposed to be a really peaceful and relaxing time is now going to become an incredibly stressful time because you are now going to be working on your RV. Yeah. And we've talked about having shakedown trips before for new RVs, but shakedown trips every year for for an RV are great. If you're pulling your RV out of storage, Go camping for a night or a weekend somewhere near your home so that you can just make sure that everything is running okay and and doing what it needs to be so that you can run out to a Walmart, you can run back to your house, you can run to Camping World, whatever you you need to do to get this stuff. Yeah, or if things don't work out, (laughs) you can go sleep in your own bed at home. I think that's such a good point too, Jason, because a lot of times we get our RVs out and we're prepping for our vacation for a week long, two week long, three week, even a couple months. And it is such a good idea to just go and shake it down first before you get out there and on the road and you get removed from your comfort zone. I think that is absolutely excellent advice. There's nothing like heading out and then all of a sudden knowing your fridge doesn't work. Yeah. You know, that, I mean, it will totally ruin your entire vacation right there. Just How will thing. my beer stay cold? <laughs> Just say it. <laughs> so now is a good time once you're setting up your water system anyway. This is a good time to sanitize your water system. And you should be doing this twice a year, whether you have uh, your RV in use year round or not. You can do it more than that. Sanitizing your system is fairly it's a fairly easy process. Essentially, what you want to do is fill your tank up with water and a little bit of bleach and you allow it to sit there and you allow it to run through your system. And again, you flush it out through the system and that keeps any sort of nasties staying in your freshwater system, any bacteria, uh, any sort of growths. And even if you don't drink your freshwater, a lot of people don't drink the freshwater from their RV, but if you still use it to wash your dishes and and take a shower and all that stuff, you want to make sure that that uh, bacteria isn't getting in there. Yeah, if you're using a fresh water tank in your RV, you have contact with that fresh water. You may not be drinking it; you may choose to drink bottled water. But if you're washing your dishes with it, you're going to then put your food on those dishes. Yeah, you're going to wash that water. You know, you're going to wash your hair and have that water on your body. This will also get rid of any sort of stale odor. 
that you might have from your freshwater system. And a lot of RVs have that problem. And you know that if you smell that stale odor, that it is time to sanitize your RV. So it's not just twice a year. Twice a year is sort of the minimum. But if your RV has been sitting a month or more, you want to sanitize. So if you, if you don't go out, you know, for, uh, for a month or two, you want to sanitize before filling that up again. If you have a problem with algae or slime in your tank, obviously sanitize the entire water system. Can you just buy a new tank at that point? <laughs> that's where I get to. That's where I'm like, I think we just need a new tank. Just remember that if you use water filters, they're only going to remove contaminants like uh, rust and sand that improve the taste and odor, but they're not a purifier. They're not going to kill bacteria and other microorganisms. So you definitely need to sanitize. It's a real simple process. We're going to provide a link to an article from sanadumps.com. Sanadumps has an app that you can put on your phone that helps you find dump stations across the country. So they're a really great resource. And really all you need to do this, you need some time, you need about five to 10 hours to do it, and you need some bleach. So we'll provide a link to that article from sanadumps.com and then we'll provide a list of all the steps on the RV Miles website, all the things that you should think about for dewinterizing your RV. I want to add one thing though. This is also the time of year that you want to check your smoke detectors and your fire extinguishers and uh, any CO2 or propane detectors that you have. Make sure the batteries are good and working and uh, and make sure that they're they're beeping like they properly should to to wake you up in case of an emergency. So you'll find all that stuff in the show notes for this episode and we're going to take a break and come back and talk about ancient Native American cliff dwellings. <laughs> totally different <laughs> thing. Yeah, we need a little bit of time to digest all of what you have to do to dewinterize the oh, We RV. got a lot of stuff we got to do. We, gotta, <laughs> we do. We got to do things. <laughs> Good job, Jason. We got to do things. Way to be specific. <laughs> all right, we'll be right back. All right, we are back. We have been really enjoying our time in New Mexico. It's coming to a close fairly soon. We've been here seven weeks or so. No, we've been here for two and a half months. Oh, really? Has like it been nine that or long? Ten weeks. Wow. Yeah. We love yeah. it so much. Time just flies. Time flies. New Mexico is full of really great National Park Service destinations. And we had the joy of experiencing the Gila Cliff Dwellings, it's spelled G-I-L-A, a couple weeks ago. And boy, was this a fantastic place. It really was. And we were staying at City of Rocks State Park. Another fantastic place. Another fantastic place. And that's really the closest state park yeah. to this. Now, there are other places and other options to stay. In fact, inside the Gila National Forest as well. There are lots of places you can stay. We were staying at a state park about 62, 65 miles away. Yeah, 65 miles, but quite the journey. More, yeah. Much more than an hour <laughs> yeah. to get to. They, they say two and a half hours, but it, don't, it didn't take us that long. We were like, Mm-mm, we're going to do this in an hour and a half. That didn't happen. Part of it is because you do have to travel up into the mountains in order to get to Gila Cliff Dwellings. Not only you have to travel over a mountain, back down and then back up. And it's, it's quite the drive. It's not a drive that I would want to take uh, an RV on. 
No, not at all. I We wouldn't be comfortable with it. Now, some people were, yeah. and that's totally fine. We were not comfortable with it. We also ended up having to stop, and I think anyone who deals with this issue will understand, we had to stop numerous times because we have individuals prone to motion sickness. Yeah. And when you get up into the mountains and it's just S curve after S curve and it's just, you know, the speed limit is only 25 and then it's 45, then it's 25. And it's just this constant change in elevation and constant change in direction. We had to stop. Someone had to puke. <laughs> we took a little break. Everyone got back and we continued on our journey. But it did end up taking us about two hours to get there. Yeah. We did not anticipate it taking that long. Absolutely 100% worth every little tiny headache though to get there. Just amazing. Yeah. I, I will say I, I would, I would be okay with taking an RV on this route. It, w- it wouldn't be challenging. I think it would just be a colossal waste of fuel. Yeah. <laughs> so most of, most of the campgrounds in the, in the Gila forest are towards the, uh, lower end before you head up into the mountains where the Gila cliff dwellings are. So these, you drive up in here, you go through this massive drive into the forest and it is a beautiful drive. There are many stops you can look at. You are in a serious mountain range. There are lots of mountain ranges in New Mexico, but once you get in here, you are, you are, you know, it is massive mountains. You're looking in down into ravines and lakes and, it's spectacular. spectacular. It's really beauty. hard to describe on a podcast. It's just really yeah. spectacular. So you're going to get into Gila Cliff Dwellings and you're going to come to the first visitor center. They have a visitor center right as you come into the park and then they have a smaller visitor center at the trailhead. Go ahead and stop in that major first visitor center. Take some time to watch the video, get to know a little bit about the Mugion culture, which is the group of the tribe that lived up in these cliff dwellings for and not for very long. No, it was a really short amount of time and it was only about 30 to 40 individuals that were up here. It's so weird because you get the impression after driving, it's so much work for you to get up in there in a vehicle on a road. And you wonder what in the world led people to walk to this place yeah. and utilize it. That I think was a really interesting conversation that we had with our kids. And That was what it must have been like for small people and large people to be traveling through this terrain when they didn't have a National Park Service trail to lead them up to the cliff dwellings. They didn't have a parking lot to park their car. They didn't have a restroom to stop at if they needed to use the restroom. I think that those make for really interesting conversations. I also think that this is an incredible way to put this country's history into perspective and to remind ourselves that we didn't start in the 1600s. We didn't start when the pilgrims came over, that there were people here who were creating and living and breathing inside of this space. And that was a really big impact for me and for the kids. I mean, because we are talking about cliff dwellings that existed between 1280 and 1300 is when they believed that the Muggions lived here. And it is very you're very hard pressed to find that kind of history in our country anymore. Yeah. You know, people in Europe, again, they they <laughs> laugh when they're like, oh, you think it's amazing that you're this house. My is house is 600 years old and <laughs> right. I live in it now. Right. Like you think it's amazing <laughs> that this house is 150 years old. But our, our country, this country's history I, goes back much further 
And I love that the National Park Service has places like this that you can go and remember that and experience it for yourself. So you check out this visitor center and it's a small visitor center, but they have a nice gift shop. Uh, They have a nice park video that's going to explain the history of the area. And there's restrooms there as well. And then you get back in your car and then you drive about two miles to the actual trail entrance to the cliff dwellings. And I want to point out really quick before we get too far into the talking about the cliff dwellings, that when you enter this park, you pack everything out. There are no trash cans. There's no trash at the visitor center even. No. You have to take everything back out. Yes. And so please bear that in mind when you, we packed a lunch and we didn't know that and it worked out to be okay. But if you have small children with you, children that are still in diapers, that's something, you know, to think about before you head out. You're not going to be able to just throw that dirty diaper away. You are going to have to pack that diaper out. Yeah. So you get to this trailhead and there is another little visitor center there. It's just a, a sort of little trailer, but it's got a, it's got some information and, and some topographical maps of the area. And, and you can get your stamp there, too. Mm-hmm. You can get a stamp at the main visitor center and then you can get a stamp at this smaller visitor center. And they're two different stamps. So if that's if you like to get stamps in your passport, you have an opportunity to get two here. And there is a going to be a ranger or a volunteer at the entrance to this trail. And it is not a free site. So you do have to pay uh, if you don't have a National Park Service pass. But it's a very small fee per person. Yeah, I think it's five dollars per person. And I think and don't quote me on this, but I think it was six and under were free. And you do have to pay that up at that main visitor center yeah. and then take your receipt down to the volunteer at the trailhead and then they they let you in and it is about a mile round trip trail that does get pretty vertical yeah i think they said that you climb about 800 feet to get to the cliff dwelling so it's not very long our children were able to do it well but if you do have mobility issues this is not going to be for you it's a lot of stairs on the way up to be honest yeah it is not a um accessible trail yeah. So that is something to, but to keep you in get, mind. You get an idea of what it took these people to get up to their home every day. So these are caves that are in the side of the top of a, a mountain area, a cliff, that are naturally carved by a stream. And you go by the stream, which is now well down below the cliff dwellings. And it is carving out little caves just like it. And you take this trail, traversing the stream. It's beautiful. You climb up these steps and you get to the cliff dwelling area. And it's just sort of wild to see these ancient homes and, and how these people lived. Place is sort of perfect. So I said a minute ago, it's a wonder why people chose this spot, but it's like the direction that the cliffs face is perfect for them because it it would shade them in the summer, but in the winter they were facing south so the sun would shoot in and warm the cliff dwellings. It allowed them to look down on sort of game and be protected from predators or or warring tribes, anything like that. And they were also near a stream. So they were able to grow corn and other vegetables needed to survive in that area as well. You don't realize how beautiful it is and how beautiful that area is until you get up into that cliff and you see that view. And I think I said to you several times, what an amazing view to wake up to every day. And the flip side to that, too, is I got to hand it to the parents because there is no barrier between (laughs) 
your home and then there's just several feet and then it just starts to drop off. Yeah. And the heights are an issue here. So if you do have height issues, I don't want to make it sound like it's terribly high and dangerous because it's not. It's not. If you fall, you're not falling down a cliff or or something like that. But if you have little ones, this is a park that you need to be mindful and put into play what you're going to do prior before you hit the trail. It is an open trail. And then when you get up into the cliffs, it is an open cliff dwelling. There are not railings to protect you from the edge of the cliff. One of the coolest things that you get to see up there is you you get to, they have ladders set over some of the different rooms. So you don't actually go in them, but you take a couple steps up a, a little ladder and look down into the rooms. And one of them is just full of corn cobs. These are 700 year old corn cobs yeah, this that are still sitting there. I had to go and ask the ranger if this was legitimate. Like, are these really seven year, 700 year old corn husks? And she was like, yeah, they absolutely are. And she and I had a very long conversation about it because I was just so shocked by how well they still looked. They're not decomposing. Yeah. You know, and she said that a lot of that has to do with the fact that it's the dry air. It's just a really perfect climate to sort of preserve these husks but here is something that we see in our grocery stores today sitting there that people 700 years ago had as part of their diet too and that was another amazing example where we could relate our lives today for our kids to the lives of individuals hundreds and hundreds of years ago And anytime you can bring history alive like that, I think it just makes such a huge impact. And that was such a highlight of the trip for me to be able to have that conversation with the boys in sort of like real time. These children ate the same thing you eat today. When you're up there, you'll spend maybe an hour or so in the cliff dwellings themselves. If even that. No, I think like a half an hour. Yeah, maybe tops. even a half hour. It it You'll probably spend an hour and a half to two hours taking the trail up, visiting the cliffs, yeah. coming back down. So it's not a big day long experience. It You know, it's like touring one person's house. If you were to go shopping for houses and, and you were touring one, that's kind of what you're doing here. Yeah. And the thing, too, once you get up in there is that they do... They have a trail that you can follow once you get into the cliff dwellings. And Jason said they have these ladders you can climb up into and look around. But you really need to be mindful of not touching anything and really trying to leave the space the way you found it. So you just kind of follow this trail. You look at everything. You take a few pictures and then you need to move on. Because another thing as well is that you've got people behind you. And this isn't really a two or three person trail. It's a one person path once you get up into the cliff dwellings. So that's another thing to bear in mind. There is this constant movement of people going through. The really cool thing about the exit is you have two options when it's time to leave the cliff dwellings. You can either take a ladder. It's a 10 rung ladder, wooden ladder that they have constructed in up against the cliff dwellings. You can take that down to meet the path that'll then lead you back down to the visitor center or you retrace your steps and exit the way you entered. A lot of people were opting to exit the way they entered because the ladder looks a little intimidating. It's a big ladder just propped up against a rock wall near the cliff dwellings. We ended up 
a few of us wanted to do it. So they did it. And we had a few who didn't want to do it until that fear of missing out kicked in and they turned around. Some of the younger ones turned around and wanted to come back. And it's a lot of fun. I highly recommend that you take the ladder. It looks really intimidating when you first get up to it. But it's bolted to the wall. It's not going anywhere. It's not bolted to the wall. Yeah, it is. No, it's not. Where's it bolted to the wall? At the top. No, it's not. They told me it was. I think she may have been saying that because she came over and held. She was holding it for a lot of people. It shook a little. It's not like it shakes. You can shake it for sure. Yeah, you can. Okay, we we do not know. You know, we don't know the answer to this. We could sit here and argue this on the podcast. If you know the answer, though, let us know. Jason believes it's bolted. I do not believe it to be bolted. When you come down from the ladder, then you take a nice little hike back down to the parking area. And it's it's beautiful. Lots of birds flying above. So you could spend your your pretty much most of your day taking two hours to get there. Another two hours to visit the cliff dwellings and then another two hours to get back home at six hours. But if you want to, if you do want to stay longer, there is another trail that, that leaves from that parking area that you could, that you could go out on. I think they even do horseback trails up there as well. I know they do horseback riding trails uh, as part of the national forest. And then you can head to the campgrounds. There are a couple campgrounds right by the entrance to the cliff dwellings trail. And they are the Upper Scorpion and the Lower Scorpion Campground. These are Forest Service campgrounds. They are no services. There is a pit toilet there. Uh, and these are tent campsites. But they do have a parking area where you could park your RV and stay there with no hookups. Yeah, and one of the Scorpion campgrounds has a trail that we would not have known anything about had it not been something the boys were required to do in their junior ranger program. Because this trail is actually a part of the National Forest. It's not a part of the Gila Cliff Dwellings National Park Service area. And it's called Walk the Trail to the Past. It's two very short trails, maybe like a quarter mile each, one going to the left, one going to the right. The one that goes to the left from, I believe it's the Lower Scorpion Campground where this is at. The one that goes to the left is going to take you to a cliff dwelling, a lower cliff dwelling. It's more like, like a, a, it's a more cave. like, it's not really a cliff. It's a cave. Yeah. A cave dwelling, I should a, say. Yeah. That's it's a the more same sort of abode, but this is like away from anybody. It's away from the National Park Service site. Nobody really goes here and you're kind of seeing it on your own. Yeah. And you can actually go into it. You know, you can interact with it in a way that you cannot with the Gila cliff dwelling. So we were able to go over there. There were a couple of really cool junior ranger tasks that the kids needed to complete that would happen in that area. So you get to experience this home of the Mugion, and then you walk back and you go in the opposite direction. And just, I mean, I don't even think it's a quarter mile. All of a sudden you are faced with a sheer rock wall full of pictographs. Yeah. Just absolutely incredible. You can. Your nose can be right up on these seven, eight hundred year old pictographs. Nobody knows what they mean. This is a language that has long since dissolved. And so you get to stand there. And again, it had another junior ranger. And it was the first time our kids got to see anything like that. Yeah. They've never seen a, a petroglyph or a pictograph before in person. And I loved this junior ranger activity that they had to do because it asked them to find their favorite image on that rock wall and then draw it. 
and then interpret it, what they believed it to mean. And it was so interesting for all of us to partake in that and to, and to look at this and kind of try to draw our own conclusions. And a lot of times the kids just, just kept saying, those look like roadrunner feet. Those look like roadrunner feet. Like they were really able to put the native land with those images on the rock wall. It was it was really powerful. And what's so amazing is that just a few hundred feet away is the main road and cars are just driving by. No one has any J- idea Jack they're kept there. Saying, Jack kept looking and saying, all these cars are going past and they're not even looking at this. They don't even know. They have no idea. There's no markers. There's there's nothing. We would have had, had no idea that this was an option had it not been one of the things that the boys had to do in their Junior Ranger program, which is a really well thought out Junior Ranger booklet, too, by the way. And really appropriate for understanding that this is kind of a one day park and not imposing too many activities on you that keep you from just actually being able to spend time with the park. So that was just so cool. I I hope anyone who's listening who has an opportunity to go here, just take a moment and go over to this lower Scorpion campground and take a look at these pictographs because they're just spectacular. So we really loved our experience at the Gila Cliff Dwellings and we hope you'll check it out if you're in the area. I don't want to move away from this without talking a little bit about the City of Rocks State Park where we stayed. I don't think we can move away from this, though, until and I think we have to share our story about like how cool we thought we were with our food preparation. Oh, and geez. what happened. I don't so, like I just feel like we cannot because I feel like this is this is a real life story here. This, it's, it's so ridiculous. So we so we had planned. We knew this was going to be a whole day. We knew that this was going to be a lunch and dinner excursion. And we thought, wouldn't it be so cool that we'll bring the camp stove, we'll bring our chairs, we'll have all this stuff and we'll have a really we'll bring dinner. We'll make dinner in the Gila National Forest somewhere. We'll find a picnic area. We spent all this time prepping. We had bought all the food that we needed and I had packed it all up the night before. We were we were like so solid and we are headed out. We have lunch before we head on to the Gila Trailhead to go up to the cliff dwellings. We're done. Everything's time to head home. We're driving. It's about five o'clock. We were going to drive down to one of the overlooks in in the forest. Yeah to sort of one of the lake overlooks to have our dinner. Yeah. And so we're driving and everyone's starting to get really hungry and it's like, okay, we need to find a place we need to stop. And I'm, you know, kind of going through my mind. What are the things I need to do when we first get there? You know, I'm just kind of running the game plan because I know that kids are going to just be all over me about wanting to eat. And all of a sudden I look at Jason and I say, we didn't bring any pots or pans. We have nothing to actually cook (laughs) said food with. We have... Everything we need except the one pot and the one pan required because we had macaroni and cheese as one of the meals because we have kids that will eat very little. And I had no pot to make the Cracker Barrel mac and cheese with. Yeah. So and we, 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 <laughs> we ended up at McDonald's. We trekked on and went to McDonald's <laughs> in Silver City. And uh, it gosh. was, I mean, we just like the real, when the realization hit, we just kind of. It was kinda, just funny at that point. It was. I mean, then it was just, just, we put all this effort into it and it was just, we forgot the pots and pans. Who does that? 
it was uh it was quite the experience and and uh boy that mcdonald's actually tasted really good because we were all so starving by the time because it was a long drive out of there we had snacks and we had our snacks but it did not replace the fact that you know we had been hiking and we had these grand plans we had grand plans we were just going to be one with nature and cook our dinner and hang out together as a family and yeah no it didn't happen So anyway, the city of Rock State Park is is a decent distance from there. It's a wonderful destination on its own. City of Rocks is these big volcanic rock formations that you get to camp in between. This is really a place that you do want to boondock if you can. Yeah. Because the campsites that are within the rocks are are the ones that don't have hookups. And they're just really cool because you can make a campfire and it like shines up on the rocks and lights up your whole site. Just a really cool, cool space. And some of the most spectacular sunsets mm-hmm. on those rocks. Just so stunning. And the stars at night, just unbelievable. And for our kids and for us as well, it was so much fun to be able to run and jump on these rocks and climb around. And we played some pretty, a couple pretty epic games of family hide and seek oh, yeah. in and among these rocks. There and were a couple, there were a couple hide and seek games that we had to quit early because it was just too <laughs> no, hard to find each couldn't other. Find anyone. And I really enjoyed the running options in this park. There's a really beautiful trail that takes you out near a small mountain range. And Overall, it was just a really lovely five days that we spent there. It's an incredibly popular park, and they only offer, I think, about three or four reservation sites. Everything else is going to be first come there, first. There are more. There are more reservable sites. There are only three reservable electric sites. Right. There are some reservable uh, non-electric yes. sites as well. Um, and there, so there are three reservable electric sites, and I think seven or eight non-reservable electric sites. Yeah. But four of them are taken up with the camp hosts and the ranger. Yeah. How many camp hosts do you need here? Come on. So (laughs) we were going to have to sort of boondock a night and then snag an electric site when it opened up. It happened that somebody didn't show up for their other site. So we were able to take one for the night and then move the next morning when somebody else did. Jason got up at like the crack of dawn I did. and was like just looking. I was just and waiting. I was watching yeah. who's, who's, who's packing. Leaving? Who's, who's packing? <laughs> because we're just not set up yet to stay warm at yeah. night. If it was just Jason and I, that wouldn't be a problem. But the kids, especially well, our we youngest. We could have done it. We just we didn't have, want to. But I would have been up all night like checking yeah. to make sure that Henry had a blanket on him. Or I would have just tossed him in bed with us and been fine too but it's a it's a great state park you're you're pretty much winging it if you go there so unless you can get one of those reservable sites but it's it's really difficult to get one of them so but make sure you check it out if you get the chance silver city also a fun little quaint town yeah absolutely nearby that uh that was really worth checking out all the sort of little downtown quaint shops and we had a great we had some good mexican great food. mexican really hot Mexican food. Oh, that Mexican chili that we had. And she warned us. She was like, do you want the green or the red? And I was like, well, I like spicy. She's like, okay, well, the red is very hot. And I was like, "Mm, no, don't worry about it. Just bring it here, girl. And it burned my lips. Like Jason and I, we were, we were Mm -hmm. crying (laughs) and like our sinuses were clearing out and our lips were burning and it was so good. But she was not kidding me when she said it was hot. 
the level of hot in New Mexico versus the level of hot in Missouri is clearly very different. <laughs> Silver City also had the best playground we have ever been to, hands down. This park called oh. Penny Park. Oh, yeah. It was, oh, man, these like giant slides for the kids, all kinds of different rock wall, different things for different age kids really awesome park if you if you got kids and you're in the area well done silver city well done all right let's wrap this episode up with a brain teaser this one's a riddle i have an end but no beginning a star but no moon a home but no family and a space without room i never speak but there is no word i cannot make what am i this is a really good one i liked this one a lot when you when you gave me the answer. <laughs> so we will have the answer to that brain teaser and so much more on next week's episode. If you do know the answer, make sure to email us at editor at rvmiles.com or send us a message on Facebook or Twitter. And if you have any suggestions for a topic you might like us to cover, you can also email us at editor at rvmiles.com. And please, if you haven't already, click that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review, and please tell your family and friends And until next week, everyone, keep logging those RV miles. Bye.